Good evening, everybody. Brian Newbert here from uh, GoldenBlack.com. Live in his car once again. This time leaving Mackey Arena following Purdue's 95-78 to win over Penn State in Mackey Arena. As I said, I'm driving home, uh, leaving the Mackey Arena, ross Stadium parking lot area right now. My car is telling me it is 20 degrees. My car is lying. Judging by the icicles in my beard, it is no more than 2 degrees outside. Uh, I'm going to be careful while I'm driving in case the roads are slick, but what is this podcast without a moving car and a turn signal? So, uh, so yeah, Purdue wins 95-78. to Thank you to the East End Grill and Rippling Company, Purdue Federal Credit Union, T&W Design and Build, AcrePro.com, and the Whitaker Inn for their support here. I will, as always, be driving past the Whitaker Inn here very shortly. Um, basketball that's what i'm here to talk about not turn signals and 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 freezing cold and all that stuff purdue wins 95 to 78 the first thing i will say about this game is was that a 17 point margin this was not a 17 point game this was much more like a 30 point purdue win uh purdue was that much better than penn state purdue's best players were that much better than penn state's best players and the game just played out in such a way that the final scored did not tell the story of how one-sided this game really was. Once Purdue went on a 27-2 run midway through the first half, fueled by Zach Eady and Braden Smith, uh, this game obviously was over. Uh, the last 10 minutes of the game were immaterial uh, to anything, if I'm using the word immaterial correctly. Not sure I am, but we'll uh, just kind of move on, pretending like I did. Uh, you know, Purdue emptied its bench there at the end. Uh, and, uh, Penn State probably made this a little more of a narrower margin than it actually probably should have. Uh, I can't remember what Purdue's biggest lead is. It was close to 30, maybe 28. Uh, I, I went down to the media room earlier than normal, uh, so I missed a few minutes of the game. Uh, but the parts I watched, 28 was their biggest lead. Uh, so this was not really uh, anything to be... Uh, concerned about Purdue not finishing strong, anything like that, unless you had some interest in this game adjacent to your Purdue fandom, if you know what I mean. You're not all that, you shouldn't be all that bent out of shape about Purdue only winning this game by 17 points. Now, if you do have some fandom adjacent interest in this game, or did, you might feel very differently. Um, But Purdue won by 17, but may as well have won by 30. The difference in the two things is really nominal um this was not that it was necessary but this was kind of a reminder of you know what zach ed is after a couple of kind of different games for him between the foul trouble against illinois limiting his minutes and his productivity and then the fact he didn't really get a chance to do what he normally does against nebraska because he didn't get the ball all that much uh, and obviously Purdue lost that game. Uh, he seemed very upset after that game, as I'm sure a lot of Purdue uh, people were. But this was peak Zach Eady again. He gets 30 and 20 against Penn State. Um, you know, Purdue opened the game trying to get him the ball at all costs. Uh, led to a couple turnovers against whatever junk defense Penn State was was doing against Eady. And then once things opened up a little bit, halfway through that first half, Braden Smith started getting the ball to Edie. Edie scored a bunch of points in a row, uh, a bunch of different ways. 
and then uh, created two threes for Purdue with his passing, one a hockey assist that led to a Braden Smith three, and the next a direct assist on an inside-out kind of punch back to Mason Gillis in the corner for another three. Again, 27-2. to Purdue goes way ahead. Never threatened from there, obviously. Penn State, I think, might have gotten it down to like 16 or something like that. But, you know, Purdue was great offensively. They shot the three great. They got to the foul line. Uh, maybe not as much as normal or what you've come to expect to be normal for Purdue. But they got to the line. They drew fouls. They got their big guy going. They got their guards going. Uh, shot threes, again, at a very high rate. I think it's deep enough into the season now to s- safely say Purdue is an excellent three-point shooting team. They've been pretty consistent, uh, especially at home, but they are an excellent three-point shooting team. Everything kind of clicked for them. They were good. They were pretty good defensively. That started with not turning the ball over uh, very much against a team that is built to force turnovers. It's kind of what they do philosophically. They try to force turnovers and score off them. Uh, Penn State did get some points off turnovers, but they didn't get wholesale turnovers. I thought Purdue did a good job defensively. It started with good offense. I thought Ethan Morton did a really nice job in his minutes guarding Kanye Clary, one of the few holdovers on this team from the Micah Shrewsbury era. A very good player, one of the quickest and fastest players Purdue's going to see all year long. Morton did a good job on him. He ends up getting his 16 points anyway, made some tough shots, made three threes. Uh, but I thought, I thought all told Purdue did a good job holding him to his 16 points on like 16 shots. Uh, so this was just a really... I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to say here. Uh, the better team beat the inferior team bad. That's pretty much the story of the game. I mean, I, I, I can't just, we can't just write stories that say the better team won big. So we have to talk about things that are relatively obvious, and I'm running out of things to talk about here. So uh, I'm going to cut that short. This is only a six-minute podcast, but I really don't have much else to say. Wait, actually, yes, I do. Um, Camden Heidi has become you know, a really, really high-value player for this Purdue team. I called him earlier in what I wrote before a depth multiplier. Uh, what I mean by that is he can be a lot of different things at once. He can be a knockdown shooter off the bench. He can be a low-volume, high-production sort of guy. He can be a multi-positional defender. Uh, he can be somebody who doesn't really come with any sort of drawback. There's no trade-off with him because he's big, he's strong, he's athletic, he moves well. Uh, he's simple. He just does basic things. He doesn't do things he shouldn't do. Uh, he doesn't do anything he can't do. What those things would be, I'm not really sure. He is just becoming almost the perfect depth piece for Purdue. The perfect reserve, uh, I guess you could say. Um, just a real revelation for Purdue, especially here lately. You know, for young players, things are supposed to get harder when Big Ten play starts. He's been really good. He's been really good all season, but since Purdue resumed Big Ten play, I think he's been even better. And uh, just can't say enough about what he's done for Purdue here lately. Uh, when I'm talking about depth, I don't even want to talk about Mason Gillis because I don't I don't consider him depth. I consider him a sixth a, a sixth starter, kind of like when Purdue had Edie and Travion Williams both. You didn't look at them as okay, one guy's a backup. You look at them as Purdue has this unbelievable luxury with these two really good players at this position, and only one of them can start. Mason Gillis is kind of that for Purdue. He's shooting an unbelievable percentage from three. He's playing really hard. He's been a great entry guy. He's doing everything right. 
Um, he's coming off the bench behind Trey Kaufman Rand. I think both of those guys are, are different enough where some nights it's going to be Trey Kaufman Wren's night. Some nights it's going to be Mason Gillis's night, as it's turned out here lately in terms of minutes played. More of these nights have gone Mason Gillis's way, um, but it's working. Uh, and the best part of it for Purdue is both of those guys are playing their ass off. And that's really, really what is making this whole thing work. What the totality of those two players are doing for Purdue is a really big deal. And I think it's best to kind of look at them as the tandem, sort of the way Purdue used to look at its two-center rotation uh, where, you know, they might both guys may split the game, but you end up with a baseline of productivity that's like 20 and 25 and 13 or something like that. And, uh, you know, it's not the same for Purdue's four men in terms of the, the magnitude of the numbers because that's not the position that Purdue plays through necessarily. It's a complementary position. It's going to be as long as Zach Eadie's here. It's going to be as long as Braden Smith is here, at least this year. But you're getting a lot of low-volume, high-yield out of that position, and I think that's another part of Purdue's just really, really high-productivity uh, high efficiency depth and uh, that, I think that was something that was kind of punctuated too in this game against Penn State Purdue starters could have beaten Penn State without any help from anyone else uh, I thought they were all good um, obviously Edie was dominant Braden Smith was dominant Fletcher Lawyer quietly was very good uh, Lance Jones did some really good things for Purdue as he's been doing all season long but just what Camden Heidi and Mason Gillis continue to do for Purdue is just a really big deal for this team. Caleb First did some really positive things for Purdue in this game as well. Uh, Purdue's got a pretty good team here, top to bottom. And uh, I don't think anything about what happened at Nebraska changes the way that should be perceived. I think Purdue flexed its muscles in every way, shape, and form possible in this game against Penn State. And uh, won this game the way the best one of the best teams in the country should win a game at home against a team that's in a really tough spot right now as it starts over again under a new coach. And that's different nowadays because every time a coach leaves, the whole team's going to leave. So it's not like you're... You have to bring your old team with you, and that has to translate. And um, Mike Rhodes brought at least one of his VCU guys with him, uh, Ace Baldwin, uh, but obviously he didn't... He's got a ton of new guys on that team who have all been thrown together. So they're their 8-8 eight eight record coming into this tonight was really reflective of reality because they're in a tough spot, as a lot of new coaches are and are going to be every year as when staffs turn over. So, look, that's what I got. So, um, thank you again to the East End Grill and Ripple and Company. The pastrami was wonderful tonight. Thank you. Um, Purdue Federal Credit Union, uh, AcrePro.com, TNW Design and Build, and the Whitaker Inn, which I'm about five minutes away from. So we'll pass them here shortly. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. I will talk to you again on Tuesday night following uh, Purdue's trip to your favorite town, Bloomington, Indiana, to play in Assembly Hall against Indiana. Purdue kind of owes them one uh, after the way last season played out. Uh, this is a very different Indiana team. This is a very different Purdue team. So it'll be interesting to see how Purdue handles that one. And uh, I will talk to you again after that. So thanks, everybody.